So, church, we are in week two of a brand new series called Faith, Hope, and Love. It's based on a passage of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the famous love chapter in the Bible. And in this chapter, the Apostle Paul, this is the guy that used to persecute the church, basically, um, who ended up writing two-thirds of the New Testament. It's amazing what God can do with anyone, right? Don't disqualify yourself from being used by him. The Apostle Paul writes and he says these famous words in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. This is from the basis of the series. He says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And to help us understand the application of these three critically important Christian virtues that the Apostle Paul says we should pursue, uh, I used the analogy of a bicycle last week. Uh, Don't put it up just yet. Just yet. Um, And we said that our spiritual journeys can be likened to this analogy of this bicycle. Uh, I I, I saw this analogy used from from this uh, preacher that I followed. I thought it was so helpful. I thought I had to just share it with us too. So before we put it on the screen, before we put it on the screen, for the purposes of a quick recap, uh, who can remember the various components of what they represent? For a speedboat and a jacuzzi in heaven, who can remember what is, our, what, is the, what is our faith? Faith is the frame, yes. We said that the frame of the bike is representative of our faith. This is the thing that, that holds it together. This is the design of our spiritual journeys, right? It's the frame. We said it's, it's what keeps the bike in its proper shape, right? Secondly, what was hope? Pedals. Someone said pedals and chain. Uh, I believe that I made a spelling mistake and called them paddles last week, so... I apologize for that, but it's the pedals and the chain. What is hope? Hope is the thing that, that, that powers the bike. It's the thing that, 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 that gets the thing going. It's what motivates us in our spiritual journeys. It's the energy, right? It's the reason we get up in the morning. That's what hope is. It's the thing that, that powers this whole bike, right? And then finally, we said love is the steering, the handlebars and the wheels. It's the aim of the bicycle. It's the direction in which this whole thing moves, That's why he says the greatest of these is love, right? If you have no love, you're aimless. It's driving around nowhere to go. But love is the aim. Love is the direction. It's what points us in the right way that we should go. So now before we put the bike up there to to kind of just visualize the the reminder, I just want to say thank you to everyone that after the service uh, uh, last week offered their assistance with creating a new bike. Um, Obviously, my PowerPoint presentation wasn't uh, quite up to scratch, I appreciate the willingness, but I'm somewhat hurt at my lack of creativity that was noticed by the whole congregation. But alas, put my pride aside. And uh, you guys remember the show on MTV called Pimp My Ride? Well, our bicycle got a proper little facelift right there. 2.0, your life 2.0. So new and improved right since it's been in the body shop uh, the past week. So there, there's the reminder, faith the frame. Pedals and chain is hope, and the handles and wheels are love. So, this is the summary sentence. Without faith, the bike is shapeless. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Without faith, the bike is shapeless. Without hope, the bike is motionless. And without love, the bike is aimless. That's the concept, faith, hope, love. See how important this is. Well, Apostle Paul says these three things remain. Not miracles, power, gifts, faith, hope, and love. And this is the conversation that we're, that we're having. Our attempt in this series is to be, how do we live by faith, live in hope, and live with love? 
That's what it's been about. And we want to make sure that our bikes are in good condition, right? Our spiritual journeys are in a healthy space. And we, and we shared three things last week in terms of how to do a little, a, a little check, a little diagnosis on our faith. We said the one thing we should do is check the color, right? So the color of our faith should be red. Why is that? Represents the cross. Our faith should be covered by the blood of Jesus. That's the basis. And that's why we shared communion together this morning as well. Check the color, check the shape. It should be in the shape of a cross. Many different shapes of faith out there. Many different expressions of faith, different things to believe in. But the one that can withstand the potholes of life, as we call them in South Africa, that's the one that's in the shape of the cross. That's what's going to withstand because it's based on Jesus' work, his finished work, not on our efforts. We didn't earn salvation. We received it through his finished work on the cross. And then finally, we should check the pace of our bikes because saving faith, true faith, never keeps us stagnant. It always keeps us moving forward. And that's what we spoke about last week in terms of how to, how to, how to do this little diagnosis. And this week, on the topic of hope, I want to I ask us one, one key question and try to answer it this morning as we tackle the second virtue, faith, hope, and love. Are you ready for the question that I want to ask this morning and, and attempt to tackle in the 20 minutes I have left with you? Here it is. Can a Christian lose hope? Can a Christian lose hope? Where's the pot? I want to stir it a bit this morning. Not, not that kind of pot. That what's a woman is d? He's stout, ne? No. The pot. I want to stir the pot. The proverbial pot. Because here's the thing. It it worries me almost, and I include myself in the statement that there are a lot of people walking around seemingly without hope. Like we've lost hope, gave up hope on something. Far too many people that I speak to saying, I had hope, but now, you know, after such and such happened, I seem to have lost it. I've lost hope. Can anyone resonate with that at all? Can you relate to what I'm saying? A lot of people wandering through life without the motivation to get up and get going, like the chain has fallen off the bike. <laughs> Pedals aren't working. Can't seem to find the energy to get going and move forward. Those, those that are Christians and those that aren't. And, and, and if you're not yet to believe in Jesus, I mean, our obvious hope is that you ultimately will be, but you'll also know what this feeling of hopelessness is like all too well. There's no doubt been times in your life, situations, potholes that you experienced where it caused you to lose hope. You've, you've had the sense of hopelessness that over, overcame you. Maybe it was a career dream that didn't materialize. Maybe it was a failed relationship or... I hope that you had placed in something that didn't quite materialize and work out the way that you had in mind. And then you sat there with this feeling of oh, disappointment, hopelessness. And what we have left right now in a large, in a, in, a, in a big way, is a society that has all the right components of the bike, looks the part, but has no energy. Stagnant, standing there. Imagine hopelessness this way. Imagine you have a 150,000 Rand bicycle sitting in the garage. I'll be honest, I, I was shocked to see uh, the price that these top-end mountain bikes and road bikes cost these days. I'm like, 150K, it's like, a, it's like four times the price of my first car, which, like our ceiling, offered free baptisms to anyone that, 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 that sat in the passenger seat. But imagine you have this 150,000 rand bicycle sitting in your garage, lying there, gathering dust. It's never been used. Just lying there, 
what a what a what a waste of an incredible piece of equipment that could take you to such amazing places places. Now imagine having the immeasurable treasure and power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwelling on the inside of you, but it's slung in the garage, gathering dust because we lost our motivation to access it. Instead of taking one step forward in the kingdom of God, we, we've lost our hope. There almost seems to be this, this pandemic of hopelessness, right? That's kind of polluted our thinking in a way, and, it's, and it's, it's made us believe that there's no point in trying again. There's no point in believing again, stepping out in faith again, going forward, living fully again. And I think it's, I think it's about time that we take aim at that as the church. I, I really feel like we should address that this morning. I think it's time for the church, all of us, to start living courageously again as believers. Amen? And if you're, if you're, if you're looking for a place or a, or a person in which to place your hope, good news. There's good news. As believers in Christ, we can live fully alive with complete trust, full, full expectation of a joyous present and future because of who we place our hope in. And so I want to I want to begin our journey answering that question, can a Christian lose hope by, by, by looking at a, at, a, at a key scripture? I'll get there in a moment. But just a little forewarning before we do. Um, I said this to our Grow Group on Wednesday. By the way, you should really join Grow Groups. A little bit of a plug here for groups, okay? Wednesday evening. It's a place where you can ask questions, sharpen your faith, that we can't always do on Sunday. It's just such an amazing midweek sort of pop-up you know, from the, from the Sunday to Sunday thing. And it really has been so, so valuable for me. I've really, really enjoyed it. There's two groups happening currently at church every Wednesday evening, 6.30. Okay, marketing for groups over. But I said that to the group on Wednesday that I might make one or two punch-to-the-gut type statements this morning. Is that okay? I hope it is because I'm going to say them anyway. Um, but I, I really do think that if we're going to tackle some of this hopelessness thinking that we need to, we need to get in there, we need to, we need to hit hard, right, on, and, and make some, some biblically powerful statements to kind of get to the root of this thing. And so I'm going to share a scripture with you this morning and then do a little bit of dissecting on that question, can a Christian lose hope? Because I think we need to just un, un, you know, peel back the layers a little bit. And then I'm going to give you two biblical statements about hope as we kind of wrap up week two of the series. Are you with me this morning, church? Let's have a look at the scripture. By the way, there's some clues here that's going to help us formulate our answer to that, to that, to that question. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, verses 13 to 17, it says this, but we ought to thank God always for you, brothers and sisters loved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification, big words, just stay with the verse, by the spirit and faith in the truth. God chose you, okay? He called you to the salvation through our gospel so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we're gonna do a series on that one day. So, because of that, therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold on to the traditions that were taught by you, whether by speech or by letter. That's how the, the message of the gospel got out, right? They shared. And here he ends with this kind of declarational prayer. He says, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. I mean, if he's asking for Jesus and the Father, he must know it's a quite a big uh, resource pool that he's, that he's accessing here for this, uh, for this next statement, Right? who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Mm. 
That's a beautiful verse. That's a powerful verse right there. Do you pick up any clues to where these power punch statements are going to come from in this verse? There's a few of them there which we're going to address in just a bit. But as a, as a start, let's, let's, let's peel back the layers on this, on this question um, and, and sort of lean into what could have plagued our thinking in a way when it comes to this thing of hopelessness. Two things that I think are really important to clarify when it comes to that, to that question. Can a, can, can a Christian lose hope? And the first one is, while I understand why people say, and I include myself in this, that I have lost hope, etc., etc., what I think they mean to say is, I lost my awareness of hope. I think that's what people mean. And I think it's very, very important that we make that, dis- that, that, we make that distinction. I've lost my awareness of hope. And we're going to get to that why that's important in just a bit. But maybe, maybe we've just allowed the circumstances around us to keep us from seeing what we really have. And I think, I think that's what people mean when they say, I lost hope in something, which is fair enough. We've all experienced that. You know, anything other than, than the Lord Jesus has the potential to disappoint you. But what we shouldn't say is, I've lost all hope. Because that would be to say that, you have, that what you have on the inside is less than what's happened on the outside. That's an incorrect perspective on the truth that Jesus has never left you. So when we say, I've lost all hope, he, he's not lost at all. <laughs> He's not, he's not lost. You, you, you've just lost your awareness of him. We've just allowed circumstances around us to cloud his presence within us. And I think, I think it's time we stop allowing ourselves to be governed by these blind spots in our thinking and in our emotions because you know, we've become to believe something that really isn't biblical or true. And you, and you know what it's like. You, you, you sit alone long enough with your thoughts they go undisclosed, they kind of go under the radar, they go unchecked, you know, unchecked through the filter of scripture and the filter of a mentor or the filter of grow groups. There's the grow groups marketing thing again. But you sit there and this thought becomes unchecked and pretty soon it wedges itself in your belief system. And the more you think about it, the more you begin to believe that it's true. And very soon you've got a whole set of reasons surrounding this unhealthy belief, thought, convincing you that it's true when actually it's just a lie from the enemy. It's not true at all. I'll give you a practical example. Suppose that you went out with some friends and, you know, you went out to a, trying to think of another holy establishment in Jabe. Um, <laughs> that was a dig. That was a secret dig. I'm sorry. Um, suppose you went out to Bruco, all right, and you saw someone there that you had an interest in, that you liked, this person. And you looked up and you saw them and you greeted them and they didn't greet you back. They kind of just looked straight past you. And you wondered what on earth that meant. Like, why? What? You know? It bothered you the whole night. The next day you woke up and that's the first thing you thought about, how this person seemed to completely ignore you. Even when you were looking straight at them, you know? You started wondering, did I upset them somehow? Did I say something? Did I do something? Maybe I did. Why did I do that? Why does this keep happening? It's not the first time. What's wrong with me? Am I really a fill in the blank when that person said that to me when we had that argument? Maybe I should just stay at home and just forget about them altogether because that would make me actually happy. Relationships are overrated anyway. 
And there you are, making a case for why you're justified in losing hope in relationships. <laughs> Unchecked thoughts. All the while, the other person, they just didn't see you. <laughs> you, see, you see what happens? We sometimes allow those thoughts to create this reality that really isn't biblical. And I want to I wanna take aim at that root this morning. I wanna, and I want to pull that out. And I want to say, you know, hope is never lost because Jesus is never lost. Psalm 46, verse 1. It's a well-known verse. It bears mentioning at this point. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. He's not gone anywhere. And so I think perhaps what we should say is, I haven't lost hope. I've maybe just lost my awareness of hope that I have. Can you say amen to that this morning, church? First one. Second one. This is another punchy statement. The second layer that I think we need to peel back is when people say I've lost hope is that we've allowed the emotion of hopelessness that we feel to override the reality of hope that we have. We've allowed the emotion of hopelessness that we feel to override the reality of hope that we have. Here's a power punch statement. We can't lose what we don't own. God gave you that hope. He is the owner of it. He is the manufacturer of it. It didn't originate with us. Same as the conversation last week on faith. The hope that we were given in salvation and faith is just that. It's a gift. Sure, when it's given to us, it transfers to us, it becomes ours, we take hold of it, but it didn't come from us. So ultimately, we, we can't lose something that belongs to and comes from the king. It's his. Don't say I've lost hope. That would imply that there was a deficiency with the supply of the savior that's on the inside of you. And that's, that's not true. The source of hope within us as believers produces that hope independent of us. Just like we didn't have our, you know, add our faith to God when he said, let there be light. We didn't add our hope to when he said, Jesus is your living hope. Jesus produces that hope on the inside of us, independent of us. You know, sometimes that feeling of hopelessness can, can override that, right? Psalm 62, 5. I know, it's a, I know it's, a, it's a tough convo, but maybe this verse helps us. Patiently wait for God alone, my soul, for he is the one who gives me hope. If you're waiting on yourself for hope, it's going to be a long wait. If you're waiting in the country, maybe a longer wait. If you're waiting in anything else other than God, it's, it's, it's not going to meet it. Wait for God alone, for he is the one who gives me hope. Friends, when we say things like, I have no hope, I think what we mean is we've allowed the emotion of hopelessness to override the reality of hope that we have. Can you say amen to that this morning? I know it's a, it's, a, it's a punchy conversation. Are you still with me? Are we okay? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna make two biblical statements, right? Two, two truthful statements on the good news of hope that's going to that's gonna take us out of this unhealthy thinking into godly thinking. Are you with me this morning? We're gonna, I'm going to give you two, two points. It's too cold to give you three. Two points this morning. They're very simple. They're very, very simple points, but they've helped me remember these 
important concept. And so I hope in sharing them with you that they will encourage you also. We've said today, we can live in hope because we have a living hope. We can live in hope because we have a living hope. You probably noticed in those verses and in our conversation that we've referred to Jesus as alive. He's alive. What does that mean? It means our hope is not stagnant. Our hope is not in the past. It's not based on something that, that can't sympathize with what we're going through. Rather, our hope is based on the living, risen Savior. Hope has a name. Hope has a name. That name is Jesus. Amen. You know, there's many situations that can produce hopelessness, which are no doubt valid, but there is a name that produces hope. Situations we face produce hopelessness, but there's a name that produces hope. His name is Jesus. Circumstances, situations, they change. He never does. He's constant. And we can have this reminder to constantly place our hope in the one who is alive. Look at Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 18. Since then, we have a, high, a, a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Such an encouraging passage of scripture. You know, this concept about Jesus being alive is a massive one. This idea of the, of the resurrection it really is one of the cornerstones, it is the cornerstone of, of the Christian faith. You know, we obviously speak about it during Easter, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but I'm wondering if we perhaps shouldn't speak about it more in church because it's such a, it's such a powerful thing. And you know, this, by the way, is, is, is one of the major differences between the frame of the Christian bicycle, the cross, and the frame of other religions that are in different shapes. You know, our hope is built on a resurrected king, a, a, a risen saviour. You know, while we're not going to take a moment and, and, and knock other religions this morning, that's a debate for a whole other day. Christianity really is the only religion where our God rose again and is no longer subject to death. This is, this is our faith, you know. You could, you, you could say it this way. Our hope never dies because he will never die again. The Christian hope never dies because he will never die again. Romans 6, 8 to 11. Now, if we died with Christ... Speaking of salvation, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that since Christ has been raised from the dead, he is never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is a personal application. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin. The old you has passed away, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amazing verse, and it's, it's a massive topic, this topic of the resurrection, how it translates into us being able to access a living hope. And you know, C.S. Lewis, he, he said this once about the resurrection. He said, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. <laughs> so if Jesus did rise from the dead, folks, that, that means something. That means everything, in fact. It means that our sense of hopelessness can be conquered because Christ is alive. The pedals and the chain on our bikes can continue to move, friends. They can continue to move because by definition of the fact that Jesus is alive, he's moving too. 
Our hope is not stagnant. Our hope is alive. Maybe your situation seems dead. Maybe the dream seems dead. Your living hope is not. Amen? We can live in hope because we have a living hope. Number one and number two, as I said, now it's too cold for three points. This is only the second one. Not only can we have a live, not, not, not only can we live in hope because we have a living hope, but also we have a live in hope. A live in hope. What do I mean by that? That's a hope that doesn't just pass by you casually. He resides within you. He lives in you. And I think what we need to do as believers is just to allow him room. Just allow him room to fill us with that hope that he carries on the inside of us. Now, I'll tell you a quick story just to help us unpack this concept. But one of the things that I remember most about growing up was how my parents would always host people at our home. They would always be hosting someone at our house. You know, I, I would, they would just open the home to people. And, and, and this was both in the home that we used to live in, in a, in a suburb called Charlotte in PE, and the home that we live in now in Warmer, which we actually bought from our folks. Kelly and I bought from our folks. But they would just open the home to anyone and everyone from all walks of life. You know, people that were going through difficult times, people looking for work, people who just, you know, come out of rehabilitation and were looking to get on their feet again. Even some friends of ours that just, you know, needed a place to stay. Sometimes for a night, sometimes for six weeks. You know, people would just crash in the lounge. And sometimes, you know, much to my 16-year-old rebellious self's disgust, even my room, you know. I remember coming home from school one day with my brother and, and I opened my bedroom door to find this random guy just lying on a mattress on the floor in my room. It's like, Mom, what is this? I want to speak to the landlord. And she's like, Yo, how's your board and lodging doing there, sir? Yeah, yeah. Go back and fix the dishes, please. Clean the, clean, clean the dishes. But people would come and stay over at our, at our place and, and, and for long periods of time. And, you know, what I would do in the beginning is I would close my bedroom door. I'm like, y'all ain't going near my stuff. This is my personal space. I'm a private person. You know, I'll just keep them out, wanting to protect myself. And then eventually, you know, after spending time with them, because they would be there breakfast, lunch, and supper. We would just, like, live in the home. It's like this new family member, right? Eventually, I would sort of slowly open up, you know, and be like, hey, you want to come check out my cool Pokemon collection? I don't know. What are, what are kids in high school playing with these days? I don't know. Do I want to know? No, I don't want to know. Okay. Well, back then, Pokemon was still cool, okay? And, you know, I would, I would start to, to, to build a better relationship with them, warm up to them, as it were. I would open my room and allow them in to hang out a little bit, I guess, you know? And then after a while, you know what it's like when you're spending, you know, almost every day of the week with someone, you start to take on a few of the characteristics. You start to pick up on their mannerisms, their languages, you know, little language nuances, their preferences even. And as they lived in the home and spent more time there, and as I got to know them better, eventually I would miss them when them or their families would move out, you know. And here's the thing. You build a much better relationship with someone when they live in your space, as awkward as it may be in the beginning, when compared to someone that you keep at a distance outside. And perhaps you're here this morning or you're listening to the podcast and you've never let the Lord Jesus in. You've kept him at a distance. He's on the boundary line of your property, of your heart, looking in. And you've been left wondering why it feels like you have no hope. I want to encourage you this morning, friend, we have a live-in hope that resides within you. 
He's the Holy Spirit and he's longing for you to open that door. (laughs) He's longing for you just to allow him in. Spend a bit of time with him. Get to know him. Start taking on some of his characteristics, some of his language. You know what language he speaks? He speaks forgiveness. He speaks joy. He speaks freedom. He speaks faith, love. Allow, allow the roommate that's there to just to occupy more space in your heart. He's been in the house the whole time. When you got saved, the Holy Spirit was given to you. And maybe it's just time for us this morning to allow him more space. Come and fill us again with hope, Lord, we pray. It's time to get back on the pedals again, church. We can live in hope because we have a live in hope. Romans 15, 13, how's this prayer? Now may the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep that verse up there for a moment. You guys notice the language there. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow. Not just have, an, have, have enough. Not just have a little bit. Not just in the lounge or in the kitchen. Somewhere in the corridor. The whole house overflowing with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with a final thought or two around this topic, friends, and then, and then read a final scripture that I think is just so powerful on this verse. In fact, it's, if I had to recommend one chapter in the Bible on this topic of hope, this would, this would be the one, the scripture that I'm going to get to just now. But I know that there's a lot of angles we can take on this topic of hope, right? There's a lot of different perspectives we could have shared on. There's a lot of different details we could, have, we could have unpacked. We know, for example, that hope comes by waiting on the Lord, right? And it results in renewed strength. Where's that verse? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Isaiah. We know that hope is produced by character. That's Romans. We know that there is unity in the hope to which we have been called. That's Ephesians. But specifically this morning, I, I, I really wanted to address this topic of hopelessness, which is, which is why we sort of focus on the points and the scriptures that we did. And I felt so strongly about this that I've actually asked Rob and the guys to kind of join me um, after the service, uh, or after the service, after the message, just to create a little bit of a moment, a little bit of a prayer moment around this topic. Because really, in, you know, in what I do, it's, 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 it amazes me, saddens me, I guess, how many people are sitting with this sense of hopelessness, a, a dashed hope in something. And I, I really feel like God wants to rekindle that again this morning. Maybe it's not for someone here, maybe, maybe it's for someone we know, and we could just stand in prayer for them. But I really want to just help us get our feet back on the pedals again. The world is desperate for Christians to get on their bikes and start moving. <laughs> we have to lead things forward, friends. There's so much that is lacking because the church, which by and large is the, is the solution to a lot of what we face, is stagnant. And I feel like this thing of hopelessness might be one of the, one of the, one of the causes. So let's, let's, let's shift our thinking away from what disappointed us to our living and live in hope on the inside of you, Jesus. And let's find renewed motivation to move forward and to tackle that thing, no matter how hard that pothole was, 
right, to overcome. Let's, let's, let's get back on our bikes. Can you say amen to that this morning? So Rob, would you guys mind joining me up here for a moment? And I'm going to close with this passage of scripture that I, that I, that I mentioned just now. It's from the book of 1 Peter. And um, I really would encourage you, if you want to study one, one passage of scripture, one book in the Bible on this topic, this would be the one. First, First Peter chapter 1. And it's going to be up on the screen. There it is. This is what it says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth, that's salvation, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is. And into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven for you. Man, that's beautiful. You are being guarded, oh, look at this, by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Last week we said it's not just this earthly life that we have. There's a next chapter. There's eternity. There's an inheritance in heaven and it's ready to be revealed for you. It's kept in heaven for you. You rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Why do we do that? So that the proven character of your faith, your frame, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Man, that's beautiful. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Hope. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's the joy of salvation that wells up on the inside of us, that produces this this expression of hope. This hope that we can not only receive and access, but live in. And it's, it's through Christ, friends. He's the giver. He's the gift. He's the source of that hope. And I feel like the call for us this morning as we take a moment and just sing this song again, uh, Cornerstone, maybe even just a verse and a chorus, Rob, I'll leave it up to you guys to, to decide. But maybe the call for us this morning is let's, let's reclaim that hope and let's uproot that, that emotion of hopelessness. We're not going to allow it to override the reality of hope that we have anymore. Jesus is living. He's living. And, and I really feel like this morning, he wants, to, he wants to stir up that energy again. He wants to stir up that motivation. Get your feet back on the pedals. Get the chain moving. Go, go, go after that dream again. Go after that relationship again. Go after whatever it is that you feel like God is calling you to do. Let's not leave the expensive bike in the garage. <laughs> Let's get back on it. Let's move forward in our spiritual journeys because it's salvation. Salvation made it possible. And we have an eternity to work towards, to walk towards. Can you say amen to that this morning, church?